Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome to the Savor Podcast. We're so excited for you to join us today as we dive into the goodness of God together. Our hope is for you to be encouraged, challenged, and entertained as you listen to hosts Stacy and Suzanne, along with special guests as they have honest and real conversations about how to savor God's word as they grow in their relationship with Christ. We hope you'll encourage a friend or two to listen with you so you can keep the conversations going. We're all about community here. Welcome to another episode of the Saver Podcast. I am so glad that you are joining us today. Suzanne and I are in the studio, aka the kitchen table. How you doing, Suzanne? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's hard not to be good with the beautiful weather we've had the I last know, couple I'm of days. I'm loving the weather. Okay. I wish it could stay like this forever. No, I'm still saying no on that. You guys are probably like, can y'all move on and talk about something else other than Stacy's disdain of the fall? But that's how much my disdain is. It's fine. It's going to be fine. It's always going to be fine when we're in the fall. It's beautiful during the day. It's like 75. It, it is nice. It's yeah. nice. But I'm I'm cold all the time. Yeah. I just need more warmth in my life. Yeah, but that makes it cozy, like to cozy up with a nice blanket and a hot cup of coffee. I know. Speaking of that, have you heard? There's like this Norwegian word for that. We were just talking about it the other day. It starts with an H, like huggy, huggy. I don't know, huggy, huggy. It's like the Norwegian feeling of cozy, comfy, like oh, friendly. I've never heard of this. Does someone you know come around talk, talking Norwegian? No, like, but my husband was telling me oh, about it. Okay. I'm not sure. Maybe he has a Norwegian friend I don't know about. Maybe. I don't know. Interesting, though. Yeah, it's um, interesting that you know that, too. I, <laughs> so you guys, just hang with us. We'll tell you all kinds of weird facts. <laughs> but we won't tell you them accurately, because if someone out there actually knows what I'm talking about, it may be Swedish and not Norwegian. I don't know. And I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce Calabrian or Calabrian peppers? I don't know. Yeah, and pepperdew. Yes, and I did figure out how to pronounce avocado. Kelly, I need your help again. Oh, is this the thing where you like to put the ice cream in your coffee? Yes. Um, I went to a place here. I went to the crepe place yesterday with somebody for lunch. Weren't somebody was telling me about it? It's called Sam Breakfast, Sam's Cafe, Cafe and Crepes. Yes. So it's like a little hole in the wall place. For but sure, it I is. I don't know that I'd ever had real crepes, mm-hmm. and it was really good. Their I mean, crepes I basically had dessert for lunch. Oh yeah, did you have the Nutella Crunch crepe? The one with strawberries and graham crackers. Yes, yes. that's exactly what I got. It was so delicious, <laughs> y'all. Did you I wish have you that? could. Yes, I wish you could see her face right now. As soon as I, I said it, I can't believe you guessed which one I got. <laughs> Suzanne. There was a lot of them on there. I know, but we know each other well. It was very, very good. But they had a, um, a ice cream, I mean, a coffee there. And I thought it said ice cream and espresso. It said iced cream. Oh, that's disappointing. But I, it made me think of you. I was like, Stacy loves to put ice cream in her coffee. So what is that called? Uh, I'm thinking avocado, but it's af- affogato. An affogato. An See, affogato. Kelly, I got it. Kelly sent me a... Like little voice memo of how to say it. She oh, was so, so helpful. cute. I love that so much. I love her. I know she's so helpful all the time, even when I don't know how to pronounce words. So I ice cream and coffee. I bet that's. Good. I've never had that. And as much as I love coffee, I should try that. I put whipped cream in the top of my coffee. Oh yeah, that's good too. But ice cream, like good vanilla bean mm. ice cream and black dark rich coffee, the hot, the cold, the combination. It's good. But we should get hoogie. 
Yeah. Huggy. Huggy, hoogie. And I don't have know. an avocado. Yes. Wow. <laughs> See? I'm so we, cultured. We may not speak Greek, but we <laughs> pretend to speak American <laughs> English with <sighs> some slight mishaps there and here. Anyway, okay, we digress. That's why we? I only eat food I could pronounce. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. That's probably a good idea. So, okay, we should probably just get right into yeah, it. Let's huh? get into the amazing book of Ephesians. Yes, I am loving Ephesians and um, enjoying every minute of reading it. So we hope that you guys are joining us in that too. And if you're not able to dig deep into it, but you're listening to us, don't forget, you can always go and um, look at the show notes, and I have in there kind of the outline of what we're talking about. Because we're doing a book study this time and less topical and more kind of line-by-line scripture, I have a little bit more detailed notes. So if you've never checked out the notes on our um, podcast before, this would be a good time for you to check those out. And if I have misspellings in them, grace and peace to me from my Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, for sure. But I do, I love this book. I will say that this was, um, so we're today we're going to be talking about um, chapter three and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is a very, very good but convicting book for me. Ooh, I can't wait to get into it and you share all of that with us. All of your sin with us. <laughs> I know. Come on. It's, it's open <laughs> confession, open mic night. Open confession. <laughs> No, I agree. Actually, jumping ahead a little bit, the verse that the Lord has had like just seared in my heart since the beginning of this year is Ephesians 4.29. I mean, I cannot go through a day without the Holy Spirit just whispering, 429, 4.29. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I hear you. But I'll get to that when I finish telling my son what I think. And he's just like, you should get that tattooed on like your wrist or something that says 429 so you never forget. I, know. I should get it tattooed on the inside of my lip. It'll you go know? away. Those um, go away real fast, I heard. Oh, I can't even imagine. Anyway, we're digressing again. Yeah, I know. Again, we're digressing again. I Tattoos cannot... and avocados. Yes, but you know, guys, this is a trend with college students. They are tattooing things on the inside of their lips. I cannot even imagine the pain that would be. And it's just dumb. Nobody can see it. I know. That's just weird. I mean, if you have one, you're not dumb. I shouldn't have said that. I'm just saying it's interesting. 429, Suzanne. 429. 429. All right. Let's get back to the scripture because we are just all over the place today. We are. We hope you guys are enjoying the um, round robin table that we're taking to get from here to there. So, yeah. So we're digging deep into Ephesians 3 and 4. So if you're just jumping in and joining us today for the first time, go back and check out the intro episode that we did a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we went through chapters one and two. We did, though, jump ahead and read the end of Ephesians 3 last week because it's so good, you guys. And we were talking about abundance. So, But today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3. And one of the things I want to kind of highlight that happens sometimes with the Apostle Paul is, y'all, he has a lot of run-on sentences. And like his ideas, I want to be like, dude, did someone teach you how to do the outline? I mean, he was very well educated and he in like, you know, the art of speaking, he was very good at. But sometimes I'm like, dude, I'm trying to figure out where you're going here. And you're like, run on and then you go off on a tangent. And so that's kind of what I noticed when I first started looking at Ephesians chapter three. Um, He starts out Ephesians 3.1. You want to read that for just Ephesians 3.1, Suzanne? Sure. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So he is 
kind of continuing from what he had talked about into that they were being built up together in a dwelling place of God. And he says, and because of this reason, I, this prisoner, for you Gentiles. And then he starts talking about all this other stuff, like verse two goes into something else. And just like, wait, what are you talking about, Paul? What are you about to tell me for this reason? And then you got off on a tangent. But the first thing that kind of stood out to me too is, again, he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He, he technically was a prisoner of the Romans, but don't you love that he understands so well the kingdom of God that this Roman kingdom that was the greatest kingdom, the most powerful kingdom in the world, and he was a prisoner in that kingdom by the Romans, and instead of acknowledging that, he's like, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Like, What? Yeah, I had a woman, um, I don't remember his Ephesians, I'm sure he says this in some of the other books because it seems like he's always in prison. But <laughs> <laughs> So if you're in prison right now, hey, don't worry about don't it. Don't worry about it, God's got you. But they were like, I don't, I don't like that part. And I think it's just because we don't understand what that means. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I think what he's trying to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is I'm, I'm enduring this for God, for the kingdom, yes. for the glory of God. Not like necessarily I'm a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. Right. I mean, we know God is supreme and reign is sovereign and all of those things, but in what I think he's trying to convey. Yes. Yeah. And I think he's I think you hit it right there that he is acknowledging that even in his imprisonment, in his house rest, even in the jails that he had to be, where he was literally chained to a guard all the time. I mean, can you imagine? But even in all of that, ultimately he is saying, God is in control of my destiny and I am indebted to Christ because I know the surpassing greatness of God and his goodness and his riches and his mercy to me. Because don't forget, we talked all about chapter two. He's telling them like the riches of his mercy, but God being rich in mercy. And so he literally understands that and experiences that. And so for him, he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm doing this. And then he says to them, it's for the sake of the Gentiles. And so if you're not super familiar with reading the New Testament, you're going to hear a lot about the Gentiles. And those were just the people who were outside of the Jewish people. So the Gentiles were non-Jews. And you got to remember the Old Testament throughout the entire Old Testament God said, you are my people. I'm calling you out. Israel, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, all the same thing. Throughout all of the Old Testament, God talks about being the God of Israel, the God who came for that people group. And so once Christ came and Christ said, oh, by the way, I'm breaking down that wall of hostility between the Israelites and everybody else. And now my kingdom has come and it is open to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And so the apostle Paul is speaking to this group at Ephesus. It's a church that is a non-Jewish church. And so he's speaking to them and he's calling them Gentiles and saying, hey, I am suffering and I am a prisoner unto Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. So that's kind of what he's talking about there when you wonder like, what's that word Gentile have to do with anything? I mean, I think that's a really good point. I remember when I first started reading, and it's a lot throughout Paul's letters um, because this is something that they're experiencing everywhere, right? Because the Gentiles 
or everyone who's not Jewish. And so yes. um, I do, I think that um, that's so important for us to remember today because I think this is, there was so much, um, I guess, would you call that racism, mm-hmm. you know, between oh, yeah. the Jewish people and the Gentiles and it's like, no, 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 this is, I mean, even if you look in six, it says, yeah. um, you know, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Y'all have yes. become one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. And so just, I loved that, that you pointed that out because that can be confusing. You're like, what's Gentiles and why, why don't they want them in? It's because they were racist against the Gentiles because they thought they were the chosen chosen one only. Yeah, and and I'm going to be honest, when you read the Old Testament, yeah. it, there's a lot of that language in there. Um, and so this was a radical concept. This is why Jesus was ended up being murdered by the Jewish people because they thought what he was saying was so blasphemous that he, first of all, would claim that he is God, and second of all, that he would eat with Gentiles and the unclean, because again, in the culture of Israel and the Jewish people, no matter where they were, even when they were taken into captivity over and over again, or they were being ruled over at this time, like by the Roman government, there was a lot of rituals and a lot of rules around clean and unclean, and the Gentiles were declared unclean. And so you see this a lot throughout the New Testament. Um, They actually even... Peter and Paul get into a dispute about the way Peter's acting around the Jewish people versus the way he's acting around the Gentiles. And then they have this whole thing in Acts 15 where they have to come together and they have to have the Jerusalem Council to talk about all of this stuff. So for them culturally, there was a big shift. And we're going to get into that um, a little bit more because you think, okay, well, we don't really experience the tension between Israel or Jewish people and Gentiles today. Like for most of us who live here in America, there's not this rub or tension between that. But where culturally do we make distinctions in our mind that we're like that group of people, however you want to define them, they're out. They're out. There's no way they're in. They have to be out. I mean, I think in our culture today, if we're honest with ourselves, there are a couple of groups or types of people in our mind that we're like, they're out. They're done. I think we see that really big right now politically, mm-hmm. you know, Republican and Democrat. And yeah. I think it's a big place where we think, you may not say it, though some people say it, you may think, well, if you're a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. And yeah, if you're a Republican, you can't be a Christian. Or, you know, it's just all this back and forth. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, that's in one of his letters, I think, somewhere, yeah, right? It is, it is. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, such yeah. a good good point. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, lovingly challenge your thought process on that in the way that I am being challenged myself, that in my mind, I don't have the right to say anyone is in the kingdom of God or out. Peter tells us, that it is God's desire that none shall perish. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of grace and forgiveness is radical and audacious, and it can save any human being anywhere. It doesn't matter race, gender, ethnicity, choice of gender, choice of lifestyle. God's radical, audacious love can save 
anybody. And that is his desire. So um, just kind of a a good side note to think about on that. Um, Okay, so he starts out in verse one, kind of saying he's this prisoner to Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And for this reason, he's about to tell him something. So Suzanne, will you pick up in verse 14 and read through 21, and we'll see what he's going to tell them. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, and how high is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now him, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's some good stuff right mm-hmm. there, isn't it? It is. Um, so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's saying because of what he had said to them in chapter 2 about them being a dwelling place and coming together in Christ, then he is bowing his knees before the Father, and then he's praying this beautiful, rich blessing for them. And I love how he says to them that they may comprehend with all the saints. That is the idea of community together. And so he's not saying you individually or me individually. He is saying as a community, as you come together, and he's going to get into this a little bit more too. He talks about how the church, the bride of Christ, demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God. And that's really powerful to think about. So I just love how he talks about their ability to comprehend the depth of his love in its fullness. And I love that he talks about the breadth, the length, the width, Mm. the height. It's in every direction. His love is so deep and so intense for us, his creation, that it is hard for us to truly comprehend that. And I think that this is such a great prayer. Like if you Mm -hmm. want to pray for someone and you don't really know what to pray, or someone's asking for prayer. This is a great prayer to write down and just pray this over someone. Oh, yeah. oh, I think so too. I definitely, not in this Bible that I have right now, but in my old Bible from last year, I have lots of people's names mm-hmm. around this prayer because it is such a beautiful, rich prayer. And it, it it's that idea that, do you know with your head the love of God? Like, I know God loves me, right? But the Apostle Paul is praying in a way that will push these people to know it in their inner man, to know Mm. it in a deeper way, and so that they can be filled to the fullness of God. I mean, filled up to the fullness of God. And again, it's that communal language of he's talking about the church, that we, the church, those of us who are in Christ, we're called the church, capital C, are to be full of his love. And so the church is important. And this is kind of where I think the Lord is going to challenge some of us. Um, Suzanne, a couple of months ago, you said God spoke to you about the church. And what was the the thing that he said to you? Love my church. Love my church. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't talking about your home church here where you go to church every Sunday, do you think? No, no, I don't. What do you think that he was kind of pressing in on you? What I did think you feel like the he was church saying? as the body, 
the mm-hmm. whole, the the go out and love my church, love my people, um, and just the church as a whole, not the building itself, yeah, but the people that are in the buildings and the people who are don't go in the buildings but are still part of the church, just the church, my people. Yeah, yeah. And so as I kind of reflected on that too, I think God's asking each of us to answer that question for ourselves. Do I love His church? Do I? And and how am I demonstrating that love? Because real love leads to action. So I can say all day long, I love you, but if I don't act in a way that is loving towards you, then maybe I have to question that. And so some of the things to just think about is, are you currently making being a part of a local church a priority? Like, is that something that's a priority in your life? And I think the reality for a lot of us is, since the pandemic hit, I've heard it over and over again. Yeah, we watched for a while online, but then we just kind of got out of it. And so many people have been displaced from connecting in community on a Sunday morning gathering time. And I think there's something powerful in corporate worship and corporate reading of Scripture together. I'm not saying you can't get it on your own. You can. But Scripture over and over again says, do not neglect the habit of meeting together. And I think that this can be a difficult topic for some people because, let's be honest, the church, certain churches, have you may have be someone who experienced church abuse. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kind of put you off from the church. And I get that. And I think that, but I think maybe what we see happening in those situations is you just turn your back on the church altogether because a church or a person or in a the church person in a church didn't do what they were supposed to do mm-hmm. or didn't love you the way they were supposed to or they didn't be an example of Christ to you but that's exactly what the enemy wants out of that situation mm-hmm. for you to turn your back on the church um, but just as God doesn't turn his back on us when we mess up we need not to turn our back on the church. Maybe that church or that person you need to walk away from, and that's not a good situation. But I still think we're called to love the church and not only go to church, but to serve in our body. Yes, I totally agree with that. And and I think because, especially we'll see in chapter four, the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts that have been given to the church. And then if you read his letters in Corinthians, he's talking about spiritual gifts that have been given. And those are not given to us individually for ourselves, but they are given for the body. And if you are not serving through your gifting that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit, then you're not meeting the need in the church the way God's equipped you to do it. And in in Ephesians 2, he talks about that. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10, and that we are to step into the work that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk into. And I think the way we do that is by serving and making it a priority in our lives. Um, Because I know there have been seasons of my life where my kids' soccer game became a priority. And I remember that and recognizing, wait a second, how did this happen? This kind of got all out of alignment. But to go back to what you were saying, too, about the idea of um, people who have suffered abuse at the hands of someone in the church, that is a real thing. And our heart is with you in that. And we are so sorry that if you're someone who's experienced that, we are sorry. That is... It is not okay. It is an evil that can happen. Um, But that does not mean that the church as a whole is that way. And I think I just want to encourage you, if you're someone who has experienced that, talk to somebody about it. Try to find a friend who is plugged into a church and talk to them about it and talk to them about 
where that area of hurt has come from and maybe ask them to pray with you through that and be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and direct you to a church that can show you the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think if you don't know who to talk to, reach out to us. We have a resource actually that um, kind of does this, um, walks with people who have experienced church hurt, and we want to connect you with those people um, and and just walk with you through that. Um, Because like you said, this isn't about the church itself, the church of Jesus Christ. It's about the evil that lies in man's heart. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's when we get into chapter four, he starts talking about um, how I think it's in chapter four. It all runs together with me, but maybe it was back in chapter three when he, oh yeah, it is actually, it's chapter three, verse 10, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So that is crazy. Chapter 3, verse 10 is talking about how the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known through the church. And so, and it's not just known to us, but to the authorities in the heavenly places. That's the spiritual realm, you guys. So that means like the spiritual realm, the angels, the demons are kind of watching what's happening in the bride of Christ in the church and through grace and mercy and forgiveness and repentance. That is where the manifold wisdom is being demonstrated to them. And they're probably like, God, why did you choose to use all these broken, messed up people? But the reality is because that demonstrates the glory of God. That's why it's such a beautiful thing. And so um, don't give up on the church. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on people. And um, just stay encouraged. And like Suzanne said, please reach out to us. You can always send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email us at saver at crosstownchurch.com. And It would be in confidence. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to kind of help point you in the right direction to get some help to process through that rather than sitting in a place of discontentment and disappointment and hurt and heartache. That is not the plan God has for you. So, okay, moving on to chapter four. Um, Chapter four, verse one sounds a lot like chapter three, verse one, doesn't it? (laughs) He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord implore you. So he went from being a prisoner of Jesus Christ to a prisoner of the Lord. You know, he is just, again, recognizing where the authority comes from. And that, again, is a very common theme throughout the entire book of Ephesians. One of the beautiful things about studying a book from start to finish is that you get to see the theme throughout and the supremacy of Christ reign and rule over the entire world is being demonstrated through this because it is lost on us when he says he's a prisoner of the Lord or he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The most powerful nation in the world was the Roman Empire at that time. And so the idea that he's not even giving them the time of day, doesn't even acknowledge that Rome has any control over him, is pretty interesting. But then he says... um, Okay, basically, I prayed for you. I prayed that all of this would be known. And now he is imploring them to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And the calling he's referring to is back into those verses that we read 14 through 21. That's what he's imploring them to do. And then, um, Suzanne, you want to read verse 2 to us? 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Mm. This was the part that was kind of convicting to me. It's like, how do I live worthy of this calling? How do I do that? I mean, he's basically laying it out for us, right? I mean, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another love, and make every effort effort to keep peace. Am I peaceful? And for me, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's a lot. It is because sometimes it's just easier to throw the grenade in the middle of the room and then walk out and be offended and just be like, forget it, you know, but that's not what we're being called to do. We're called to walk in humility and gentleness. And I love this word gentleness. I don't know about you, but the Lord's been stirring it in my heart for a couple of months now, the idea of be gentle. And I thought, Oh, yeah, that just means be nice. Like when I hear be gentle, I think be nice. But it actually, I looked it up in one of my um, lexicons, and it actually means to correct other believers without arrogance. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So the idea that he's saying with humility and gentleness, he's saying, hey, sometimes you're going to have to speak in a corrective way, but you need to do it with absolute humility, with compassion and mercy. But there are going to be times, and we'll see as he gets down to the end of chapter four, he starts talking about it. There'll be times that there's all kinds of waves of doctrine that were going to come at them and teachings that weren't right that needed correction. But that idea of gentleness is to do it without an arrogance about it. And I just thought that was really powerful to think about. That's how we walk in this manner worthy of this calling that he's called us to. Yeah. And if you jump down to verse 15, it actually kind of to reiterate that point, it said, speak the truth in love. Mm. Yeah. That's the part that we have a hard time with, right? We all want to just speak the truth and we want to, you know, tell you how wrong you are. And why you're wrong. And you may be valid. You may not be. But if it's valid, usually we don't include that loving aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how sometimes... So you may be justified in the way you are perceiving a situation. So I'm talking to the woman right now who is in maybe a conflict with someone or has a situation that is difficult with another believer. And you may be justified in having the right thought process about it. But like the Apostle Paul tells us, like Suzanne was just reminding us, if you want to give them a piece of your mind and you want to tell them something, you probably just need to pause, step back, go back and read Ephesians 4 and remind yourself that you're supposed to speak that truth in love. And we see Jesus doing this all the time. Jesus did not shy away from correcting people. I mean, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, literally, she was in the middle of the act of adultery is basically what the scripture is saying and was pulled out. And Jesus spoke to her, but then he also said, go and sin no more. I mean, Jesus has no problem speaking it, but when he speaks it, he speaks in a tone and a connotation of love every single time. And I think that's a big thing for me that the Lord's pressed upon me because I am a very matter-of-fact, determined kind of person. I'm married to a very determined man who, (laughs) it was so funny the other night, one of our friends was talking to him and she was like, you know, I mean, even when you're wrong, you just like, well, you just stand in it with this like, here I am. You know? Right, it's the confidence that I'm right, even yeah. if you're wrong. <laughs> yes, and I think that's what we see Jesus not having. Like Jesus has authority, Jesus speaks truth, but it is in a way that 
it's almost like he's lowering himself when he speaks to these people that he has to do this gentle correction with. And I just think, um, I think it's too, maybe because I don't know, this is just me. Um, he's got such a compassionate heart towards us. Mm -hmm. And we think about when we want to be right, when we're in a conflict or an argument, um, you know, we don't typically look at that person with a compassionate heart. You know, yeah. we're just more about, I want to be right and I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. And so it lacks that compassion, which therefore it comes out in a way that is not gentle and loving. Yeah. It was funny because I was just talking with a friend recently and we were talking about how, um, just talking about this book actually and uh, talking about how, you know, sometimes with our spouses, we're not as nice and as gentle and as humble. And this is where I think I fall into this trap a lot. Um, and it's like, it's just happening before you know it. You know, and so we came up with this idea that as it's as like to not that it's necessarily the right way, but giving ourselves permission to say the thing we want to say in the way we want to say it, like just saying, okay, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to spend one minute praying before I say it Mm. so that it's not like, because sometimes you're like, I want to say this, but if I stop and I pray, then hopefully the outcome of that is it will come out differently than I'm thinking. But if I give myself the permission Oh yeah. First, then it's like okay. Then I then I still get to say it. Right. But hopefully, in that time, even that one minute, letting God minister to my heart in that minute, hopefully it will change. And it's just so hard because sometimes I think that's what we were saying. We're already in it. You know, we're just oh, in yeah. it, and we don't have time to think that we're not being humble and gentle and seeking peace and all of those things. So. Oh yeah, I think that's such a good point, and I do think especially as women, kind of our emotions drive what we, how we feel. And it's very hard when you're upset or you're angry or you're disappointed to not feel that way. Like I try to get myself not to feel that way, but I don't know how to not feel that way. Like I know how to stuff it. I know how to hide it, conceal it, but I don't know how to change that feeling. And I think the best thing we can do is give our permit ourselves permission to take it to God. Mm -hmm. So that thing you want to say to your spouse or your friend or whatever I think that's a great idea. Say it. Say it to God in a prayer. Like, this is how I feel about this situation. I had that happen, actually. Um, It was back in the early spring. Chris had gone to do something, and I don't know why, but I got really frustrated with him and really irritated and angry. And I chose to sit and journal. I chose to sit and pray. And the Lord began ministering to me and really just rubbing away some of the harshness so that by the time Chris walked in the door, I was really filled with compassion and love. What I didn't know at the same time is he had been in a conversation as he was driving home that was very antagonistic and he was very angry and he was very frustrated. And if the Lord had not ministered to my heart, y'all, there would have been the craziest firework show at my house, (laughs) wilder than any 4th of July firework because my man and I are very passionate people. And I remember one time we were just talking to each other and a friend of mine who's very soft-spoken was listening to us talk to each other and she just started backing away. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I can't, y'all are, y'all are upset, y'all are fighting. I was like, we are definitely not fighting. This is just intense conversation right here. Right, so, I can relate to that. Yeah, so I just think, you know, I personally experienced that. And what I didn't realize was there was a whole nother thing going on with him that God was so faithful to minister. So if we will just stop and pray and think about speaking the truth in love and then looking at um, verse 429, <laughs> 
the one we were whispering that the Holy Spirit's <laughs> been whispering to me um, so frequently, just this idea of um, don't let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Uh, it actually is 429. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. And I mean, y'all, that has been the verse the Lord has given me over and over and over again this year. What are the words that come out of your mouth? Do not let unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only one that is for edification, not just, you know, to build up, to build up and to offer grace in that moment. And I just think, that's a really beautiful way to remind us to walk out worthy of the calling. I, I just love how he starts chapter four saying, hey, listen, I'm imploring you to walk this thing out with humility and gentleness. And then we didn't really get into it. But in the middle of that, he talks about how Christ ascended and then came back and he gave good gifts to men. And so he's saying, hey, you don't even have to do this on your own. I've given you gifts. Rely on me, the Christ in you is the hope of glory. Like God's saying, rely on me. I want to do this through you, but we have to do that first pause and stop and surrender to the Holy Spirit moving through us so that we don't have unwholesome words proceeding from our mouths. Well, because the reality is we can't do this on our own. Right. I mean, we've probably tried that. We've probably all lived that way where we don't try to invite the Holy Spirit into these difficult places with us. Um, and it probably never turns out very well. Um, but the reality is, is we need Christ. We need the gifts he's given us in order to try to live humbly, to live gently, to live, if you keep going, without bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, um, and to be able to forgive one another. We need him in order to do that. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely true. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with if you're a person who's experienced hurt through the church, um, you are not going to get through that apart from the Holy Spirit. It's going to take a radical work of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring about, depending on how bad the situation was, to bring about that forgiving and forgiveness and love and grace. But the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that is alive and active in us. And so um, it definitely is the power that can work through us to yield forgiveness and mercy and grace and compassion so that we can walk worthy, so that we as the church will look so radically different than the non-church world. And unfortunately, there are pockets of the church that don't look very different than the non-church world. And that is not who we want to be, ladies. We want to be the light. We want to be the salt. We want to look different. We want to radically love one another in a way that is just unbelievable, and that will honor Christ, and that's what our goal is. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into our saver moment. Um, I'm dying to know if anyone tried the risotto, you guys. Just let me know. No, not so much. I don't know. I hope someone tried it. I didn't. 
Well, I did. I made it the day the podcast aired. Did you? Yes. I was here by myself and I cooked it all by myself and I ate it all by myself. I just haven't had time to try it. How about that? I haven't had time. Um, I know. And a a friend of mine was texting me the day the last episode came out because she was listening to it. And I was like, oh, I just made the risotto. I'll have to share it with you. And then I guess she got to the end of the episode. She texts me. She goes, wow, that was really kind of you because it sounds like it's a labor of love. And I was like, it is. My my arm's actually hurting right now. (laughs) It probably has to do with age too. So yeah, um, we hurt ourselves sleeping now. Yeah. Yes, we do. So the savor uh, moment today is actually a recipe that I just made last night for mentorship and um, it feeds a crowd. It's really good. Actually, I got it from my nephew, you guys. So shout out to my nephew who is becoming quite a fabulous cook. And who I'm sure is listening to this right now. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> um, but it is basically you make a roast and then you turn it into little sliders. So it's like that good juicy roast with the au jus on these really nice rolls. It's just fabulous. So I'm going to put that recipe in there because Chapters three and four in Ephesians are just rich. They're rich with God's kindness, with the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. And so make these sliders, invite a crowd over. I mean, it's football season, so whatever your team is, it's a great football recipe to make. Um, Make this up and read Ephesians three and four and focus on the richness of the truth in these two chapters. So we are so excited that you guys joined us. We would love for you to check out our Facebook group. If you're not already a part of that, there'll be a link in the show notes. And we also have something that's coming out for you guys that is going to be a freebie we want to give you. And so um, if you want to get our guide, it's a three-step recipe on how to overcome the overwhelmed. There will be a link in the show notes for you to sign up for that. And as soon as you sign up for it, we'll get you that freebie over. And it's just a little guide to kind of help you because we know we all feel overwhelmed at some times. And we know that Jesus is the answer to help us overcome that. So we'd love for you to check all of that out. We're so glad that you joined us on this episode. We pray that you taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you for being with us today here at Savor. This podcast is a ministry of Crosstown Church. For information about SOAR Women's Ministry or Crosstown Church, please visit CrosstownChurch.com or download the Crosstown app. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please remember to like, subscribe, or leave a review. This helps people find us.